It's the Zero Lives Left podcast, episode 56. Welcome to the Zero Lives Left podcast. What is it you have always wanted to do? Are you stuck going around in circles? Sound familiar? Maybe you have always wanted to start a business. Maybe there's a particular career path you've wanted to follow. Each episode, we bring you an inspiring insight from someone who has done it, how they did it, along with actionable tips on how you can make it happen. Now, here's your host, Wayne Denner. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Zero Lives Left podcast. My name is Wayne. I'm your host on this journey. Thank you once again for tuning back into another episode of the show. As always, if this is your first time coming across this podcast and you have no idea what it's all about, let me give you a quick rundown on how things work around here. Each episode, we bring you no-nonsense, real, right-to-the-point podcast banter on business, career and life. Maybe you're somebody who's always wanted to start your own business. Maybe you're already on your own business journey or you'd like to get started in a particular career path. This is the podcast for you. You've come to the right place and we're going to have something which is going to help you along on your journey. As always, if you're listening to this podcast today on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio or indeed any of the other podcasting platforms, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Ratings and reviews are really important and they do help other people find out about the show. We put a lot of energy and effort into producing each and every episode of the podcast, so please don't forget to share this throughout your social networking platforms. As always, don't forget the Zero Lives Left podcasting website is opened. Make sure you stop by and check out some of the previous episodes of the podcast, as well as information on our guests who have kindly given up their time to join us on an episode of the podcast. And also, if you're somebody who's listening into this podcast today and you would like to launch your own podcast, maybe you've got something that you want to share with people, you've got a message, you've got an idea for a show, I would absolutely encourage you to embark on your own podcasting journey. But maybe you're somebody like me who had no idea five years ago how to even start, what equipment do you need, where are you going to host your podcast, how do you put it together, how do you get listeners? Well, I've made it much, much easier for you to find out the answers to all of those questions by downloading my podcasting ebook, which is now available from zerolivesleftpodcast.com website. Check it out. It's going to make your life so much easier when it comes to successfully launching your own podcast in 2021. We've got another great episode lined up for you today. We're talking to a good friend of mine, Dorcas Crawford from The Better Way. Dorcas is going to be talking all things conflict in the workplace. Conflict management, what is conflict? How do you identify conflict? How do you deal with conflict? What are some of the things that you need to know when it comes to managing conflict within your business or your organization? Or maybe you're somebody who is experiencing conflict at the moment. How do you deal with it? How do you manage it? Dorcas has got some great information to share with our listeners on today's episode of the podcast. But before we jump right into the podcast, let's hear from our show sponsor. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by CoBubble. 
Cobabble is a new platform that aims to help you digitize your business. Simple to use, massively powerful, and guaranteed to bring your paper-based archaic processes into the digital age. Leverage technology already in your employees' hands, their smart devices, to help streamline processes, share information, educate, and train your workforce. Whether you have paper-based checklists, forms, or audits that need digitizing, are looking for a better way to communicate with your teams, or are looking to replace your existing system with one that is far more cost-effective, Cobabble is the tool for you. Check out cobabble.com for more information to request a demo or sign up for a free trial. Cobabble, your digitization partner. Dorcas. Thanks so much for joining me on episode 56 of the Zero Lives Left podcast. We're sitting in your wonderful office here in the center of Belfast, and I'm absolutely really jealous. You're in <laughs> right in the center of the city here where it all happens. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your new business yep. um, in a couple of moments. We'll talk a little bit about your new office. But before we get into all of that, um, we go back quite a way. We do. Well, I think if I remember correctly, it was Belfast R. That's absolutely right. That's how we met. So I think we probably met virtually initially and then in real life. And but like now we thought we would be doing this virtually, but now we're in real life and it's fantastic to be doing it. That was that that was one of the original Twitter chats in Mm, Northern Ireland. And it just gained so much traction and so much popularity. And Helped out so many small businesses and continued to still does and yeah. and it yeah it was amazing for small businesses and you know at that time I was a lawyer I'm all right now but I used <laughs> to be a lawyer and um, and it was a quirky thing because I think people couldn't believe that it was actually a firm of solicitors running it so that was part of the the benefit of the profile for us it was outside the box it gave us a really good profile in my old firm which was Edwards and Company um, and and uh, you know we used to people used to come and say oh do you are you in PR or why, why are you running a Twitter account? And, um, and when we'd say, no, we're solicitors, they'd, they'd be just incredulous. Um, but so there was a quirky bit about that that I think gave it a wee bit of extra profile, but also the fact that it was free. It was amazing marketing for people, small businesses who, like we were in those days, didn't have a huge marketing budget. And, and there you had it. One hour on a Thursday night, you didn't even have to leave your nice fire at home on a winter's night. You could just be networking online in a very, very effective way. And some people like you, yourself, um, used it really, really effectively and um, and used it as their main marketing tool for their business. Yeah, it was really innovative and it still continues to be mm. innovative because, you know, the, the amount of people who get involved in that particular chat on a Thursday night and the reach mm-hmm. as well, as you mentioned, mentioned a couple of moments ago, like so cost effective, in fact, free. Yep. Just give up your hour between nine and 10 on a Thursday evening and come in and talk about what it is yeah. you do. Fantastic. Yeah. We've seen some amazing connections over the years and some of the businesses that started out using it right at the start have just soared and it's been lovely to see that happen and, and Belfast Noir has been a big part of that for them. Now, you've moved on um, to, 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 to greener pastures, is that the <laughs> word? Can you tell the lightness in my voice? <laughs> <laughs> and you were a lawyer, as you mentioned a couple of moments ago, um, Edwards and Company, mm-hmm. um, a well-established law firm here in, in Belfast. So you've kind of moved a little bit sort of beyond that space now into the whole world of conflict management. That's right. And that's really what we're going to talk about today because whenever I found out that that's what you were doing and I, I, I was looking and reading around a little bit about conflict management, particularly within the workplace, mm. and that's an area that, that you work yeah. um, a lot within. But I think before we get in and talk a little bit about some examples, um, what is conflict management in itself? 
Well, I think that people are beginning to recognize just how um, common conflict is um, in all in, in all areas of life. And in fact, what people can't see that are just listening is that on the wall beside us, Wayne, is one of my favorite quotes, which is, conflict is inevitable, combat is optional. Yes. So that, for me, is really at the heart of conflict management, i.e. managing the conflict so that it doesn't become combat, because that's when it's damaging, that's when it's destructive, that's when it causes problems for people. Um, so conflict is inevitable. In every area of life, you see it, um, whether it's at home with your family, whether it's, you know, in contractual um, situations where maybe something goes wrong and somebody doesn't do what they said they would do at either a small level of your local builder or a massive level of, you know, a computer company, for example. So you've got conflict in a contractual setting, you've got it in um, family settings, and then more and more we're seeing it in the workplace. And it is extremely destructive. It costs a fortune for companies and organizations, whether they're private, third or public sector. Um, it drains resources and it also has a huge impact on people's lives. So not just resources in terms of finance, but human resources. It really costs a lot for people who get involved or who are stuck with conflict and don't know how to deal with it. So obviously my history as a litigator in the law for 30 odd years, I had seen conflict being dealt with in the context of legal proceedings. And sometimes that's necessary, but sometimes that makes it even worse and is even more destructive and is hard to come out with a constructive future focused solution. The law is very much about compensating something, somebody for something that's gone wrong or correcting a contract that's gone wrong. But it's very, there's very little involved in the legal process through no fault of its own in looking at the future and seeing how could you repair this. So originally that's where all my work was. But what I've now seen and where I've moved into and specialize in now is, as I said, conflict management, i.e., sussing out what the conflict is at as early a stage as possible and calling it by its name and saying we've got an issue here and let's see how we can deal with this before it gets to the point where everybody's gone to the corners of the boxing ring and they're in their trenches and they can't come out because they'll lose face of the do or you know all of those things so I suppose my biggest um, passion is about early intervention and we know from health and we know from so many other areas that early intervention is key in conflict Management, early intervention is really, really important. So that's what the management is. It's saying, we've got conflict here. Let's not shove it under the carpet. Let's not pretend it doesn't exist. Let's not wait until we're way down the line of an HR investigation and, and some kind of grievance or worse, a tribunal. Let's say, okay, we know there's conflict going on here. Let's get it out on the table. Let's have a conversation about it and see, can we do something to resolve it? So I suppose it's really important then for companies to be aware of conflict within the workplace, be monitoring, mm -hmm. be looking out for the signs mm -hmm. and the symptoms of conflict, and then as early as possible, reaching out, uh, maybe Absolutely. sitting down, having that discussion. Yep. And is that a fair assessment on yep. kind of how it would play out? That's absolutely right. I think that it is in human nature. Lots of people would say, I hate conflict. I don't do conflict. Um, I avoid it, you know. I think I, I said that earlier on. I think on. you did. I wasn't <laughs> going to call you out on it, but I did at the time and I pointed out the quote yeah. on the wall about it being yeah. inevitable. Um, but, but most people would say that. If I yeah. had a penny for every client of mine who said, I really don't like conflict. Yes. So we need to, first of all, say, look, conflict is inevitable. That, that's how it is. That's life. Okay. We're going to meet it every day. We're going to see it everywhere we go. So yes, not being better at saying it is an issue. What most people naturally do is avoid it. 
um, even if they can't avoid the fact that there is a conflict situation going on in their workplace, they avoid dealing with it. Um, they People also, the alternative usually in the working context is a grievance of some sort. Now, people generally do not like making grievances. It's a very stressful thing to do. It is unpleasant because invariably it involves the employer or the HR director or whoever it is investigating it. So what that then means is that your colleagues are all hauled in to give a statement. Suddenly you're the person who's causing the trouble. And it may just be that you're at the end of your tether and you couldn't you, you couldn't take it anymore. So you had to do something about it. The problem with that system and that whole system of grievances and complaints is and leaving conflict until it's well down the line is that by the time a person makes a grievance, generally, they are already very close to the end of their tether. So the chances of bringing them back from that are slim. So for organizations to say, oh, it's great. We have no grievances on our books. That may be wonderful if you have a very happy workforce, but I tend to be quite cynical about that because that's not the reality of life. What it probably means is much worse. It probably means we have unhappy people who don't want to make a grievance and therefore what they're doing is either seething or taking days off sick or because they can't face coming in or they're holding out and holding out until they absolutely reach the end of their tether and then they get ill or they leave and you may have lost a very valuable employee. So it's really, I can't say how strongly I feel about facing the fact that conflict exists and saying, okay, we're going to tackle this. And conflict's everywhere. Everywhere. Um, As you said earlier on, it's not just in the workplace. There's conflict in the home. Mm -hmm. There's conflict between families. I've experienced that myself. And you're absolutely right. You know, if you don't sort of address the conflict or if you don't, you know, try to resolve the conflict, things typically get worse. Yeah. And the difference, I suppose, in the workplace is that if you do that with your family or your friends or whatever, that's a personal choice. In the workplace, it's not really a good choice for an employer, whether that's at a senior level in public sector, representing the organization of the employer or the private sector, and and most of all in the third sector, because that's very, very costly in the workplace. So in your personal life, there's a cost to it, but you've chosen to make that, to take that cost. In the workplace, the organization is going to suffer. So in a report in 2012, I think was the most recent one that was done across the UK. And the conclusion was that 32 billion a year was lost in workplace conflict. Wow. Now that includes, um, you know, investigations, the time taken by managers dealing with it. Something like 20% of a manager's time at that stage on that, based on that survey was spent dealing with conflict. So it's the, the reason I say it's so important in the workplace is it's not really a personal choice. It's a, this could be taking down an entire organization because it's costing so much money. And that's money that could go into the business or could go into the charity if it's a third sector organization or is coming out of the public purse if it's a public sector organization. So I would be less tolerant of people saying, um, well, it's our choice. We're just going to let it happen and think, well, no, actually, you've got an obligation to the directors of the company, the shareholders, the public of its public sector to actually resolve this because the amount of money it's costing is huge. So why are you doing it when it comes to conflict? Why are you wasting that money and draining your resources on something that isn't necessary? Now let's talk about companies in general and the size of companies. Now this is something that can impact all sizes of companies. Mm. So it's not just you know, the, the large multinationals, the large mm. corporations and the large public sector organizations. It can be a company really of any size. Mm. 
And the conflict really can be at all levels. It can be mm-hmm. at different levels. It can be at right at the top, there can be conflict, but there can also be conflict right at the bottom yep. and everywhere in between. Yep. So from a, a management of that, I suppose, or an observation or being aware of that, who typically is responsible for that? Is it is it HR within an organization? Is it... Well, you, yes. I mean, it typically falls to HR and a lot of my clients. Is it the chief half, chief happiness officer? Chief yeah, well, happiness. wouldn't it be some nice if we had one those. of those, a chief happiness officer? Some companies I like have that idea. Those. I wonder what their conflict levels are like. Some That's com- quite interesting. Some companies have those, don't they? <laughs> chief happiness officer yeah. sounds very American. I've, I think it is. I've seen I like that, that somewhere. I like that idea. But who's typically responsible well, it, for it? Typically, my work typically comes through HR because, of course, what happens is people go to the HR manager or director to say, I've got a problem. I've got an issue. And that, that so usually they do get stuck with having to try and figure it out, even though sometimes it's absolutely nothing to do with them and it may be just a personal thing. Harder for an HR manager or director to deal with it when it's people who are more senior than them. For example, the shareholders or the directors who employ them. And so there are times when the HR director or manager treads a very fine line between saying, we really need to sort this out. Um, But it's his or her bosses who are having the problem. So my What I like to do with organizations that I work with is to try to help them to embed a culture of conflict management from the top down. So managing conflict in the boardroom, whether that's the people who own the organization or the people who run it, or if it's a charity, whether it's the trustees. So the boardroom is where it should start because it will cascade down. That approach will always cascade down through the organization. So if you can start at the top and if there's good boardroom practice, and I do a lot of training of directors, shareholders, trustees in conflict management in the boardroom specifically. And that's often about behaviors. And because again, a really good, um, constructive, dynamic organization should have conflict in the boardroom. It should have people saying, no, we shouldn't be investing in that. We should be investing in this. It should have differences of opinion. But What I help to train people in and teach them in is respectful communication and how to respectfully disagree. So that's typical of how you manage conflict at the boardroom level. At the next levels down then through every rank, I encourage organizations to have a policy where when somebody has a problem in the workplace, whether it's director, manager um, or somebody, the receptionist, whoever it is, can go to the person in charge of HR and say, I've got a problem. It seems very small at the minute, but I'm worried it could get bigger. Mm -hmm. And in their staff policies, they should have a mediation clause. And what that means is when they come with a problem, instead of the HR director having to say, which is so often the case, oh, you better lodge a grievance. That's the only thing I can offer you. They will say, and some really good organizations in Northern Ireland that I work with have this. They will say, do you know that we facilitate mediation or a facilitated conversation? We will bring in a neutral person who will help you resolve this. Would you like to take that opportunity first? If you feel it's not appropriate, you you haven't lost your right to a grievance, you still have your legal rights, this doesn't affect them. So it's a really proactive way of organizations saying we are managing conflict, not conflict is managing us. So before it spins out of control, before it gets worse, before it manifests into something else, it's about, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is it about bringing the parties around the table and someone like yourself yeah. it, it, facilitates. Yes. And a lot of big organizations, um, some of the trusts in Northern Ireland have their HR directors trained in mediation. 
Um, so in big organizations, that works because it'll not be somebody that knows you. The thing that works about mediation or facilitated conversations is the neutrality of the mediator. So actually in smaller organizations where people know each other, it's better to bring somebody in from the outside because it's very important for that person to be completely neutral, not to have any power over hearing something and thinking, oh, I might have to discipline that or hearing something that they think they don't like or whatever. A neutral outsider doesn't have any of those issues. So yes, it looks like bringing somebody in to possibly, if it's two people in dispute, then possibly just facilitating a conversation between them where it's safe for them to say the things that maybe would explode if they said them without the third person there, to express what they're feeling, to listen to each other, etc. That's really at the simplest form that's a facilitated conversation. And sometimes it only takes one of those for a couple of hours to resolve something. Um, it could be more people. I mean, I've, I've recently facilitated mediation type scenarios with five or six very senior people who are just having real issues with functioning through the conflict that's going on between them as a team. Um, so a lot of the work I do is with senior management teams where conflict is not well managed between each other in making decisions, in having discussions, in having healthy, if heated, debates, but respectful. So it can look like lots of things, but typically it looks like the people involved come together with a neutral third person in extreme confidence. Confidentiality is the other big, big factor. Would I be right in saying as well that right at the centre of all this is communication? Absolutely. You know, that's the sort it's of. It's the first word that goes on the flip chart with every mediation I do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important. It's so important. And I know myself and, you know, my own career and, you know, my own businesses, you know, the communication aspect is really important. And if you don't yeah. manage that yeah. well enough, typically, you know, in some cases, if you're trying to bring the business on a different direction and the other person doesn't think it's, and a lot of it is the way you maybe have communicated that yeah. change, yeah. that change, because yep. communication impacts change and all of that yep. type of stuff as well, or change impacts communication. So the communication piece is, I suppose, really important. Crucial, really crucial. And, and what I'm doing more and more instead of coming in to help resolve conflict more and more of the organizations I'm working with are very conscious of this now. And what I'm doing more and more with them is teaching them some basic mediation skills that they can build into the workplace on a daily basis. You don't have to be a mediator to do these things, to be a better listener, to ask the right questions, to give people time, to give people attention, to communicate effectively. And that's a, and to have difficult conversations, that's a piece of work I'm doing and, a lot at the minute. And do you typically have to, like, obviously conflict's going to be in all different stages. It might just be in the very early stages. It might be a little bit more advanced. Yeah. And if you bring parties together, is there a piece of work needs to be done before that with these people to calm them maybe down yeah. if, if it's got to that point yeah. before? Because you don't want people going, jumping up and down and well, sometimes sla they need slamming to. doors. And sometimes they need <laughs> to. But um, yes, yeah, so the way I tend to work is say an HR director c comes to me and says <clears> two managers have fallen out um, they can't seem to communicate their relationship the trust is gone blah 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 so typically my pattern would be I see them both separately privately and that okay. is really really important okay. you're very astute in picking that up <laughs> it's not so much so they don't beat each other up it's so yeah. that they are listened to because part of what's happened in the communication is they haven't been listening to yes. each other so if I can spend and they usually typically are allowed an hour and a half so you know we have 15, 20 minutes just for them to trust me a bit, for me to introduce myself, for me to hear a bit of their own story and what their background is and all the rest of it, which I really am fascinated by what has got people to the stage they're at. And then for me to hear where they think the problems are, what they're feeling, how they're struggling with it, et cetera, et cetera. And each party would get that time on their own exclusively. And then 
I don't always bring people together. There are times when people say I could not actually. Okay. I, I so that's an option. On. Another option is. So there is no set. The thing I love about this process as opposed to years in the law is there is no set way of doing it. You use the basic mediation principles, of course, and that's very important to be skilled in that. But I will have one mediation that involves maybe two, three meetings between the two people who need to work through quite a lot. And in another recent case I did, I listened to the person who had the problem. It wasn't appropriate to bring them into a room with the line manager who they believed had caused the problem because they were going to move away. So what needed to happen was a discussion with the HR about how they could be accommodated in a different way. So they never met with that person. It wasn't necessary and it wasn't going to be productive. Okay. So I can take it then a different direction. And because I'm, you know, I work a lot with HR managers, they tend to trust me and would say, okay, come back and tell us what you think we should do. So it can be, that's the lovely thing about it. It can be a range of options and always, always with the consent of the people involved. Sure. Now let's talk a little bit about the sort of big thing that we've been talking quite a bit on this podcast over the past couple of episodes because it's been COVID related. Mm, mm. And, you know, we, we, we touch on this and we talk about this because it's impacting us all. You know, whether you're an employee of an organization, you're a small business owner, you're in the public sector, you're in the charitable sector, it doesn't matter where you are, COVID has touched everyone in, in some shape or form. I would imagine, and an observation would be that you've seen more issues around conflict now as a result of COVID. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I am seeing a lot at the minute and, um, and I, there are a couple of issues. So one of the most common issues at the minute is people, um, different reactions to coming back into the workplace. So on one level, you have people who've been possibly terribly badly affected by COVID in their personal lives, maybe have lost family and friends, um, but also maybe just are extremely anxious about the whole thing and who really are very nervous and anxious about coming back into the workplace. At the other extreme, you've got people like you and me who couldn't wait to do this in person today because we've had enough of Zoom. We are the people who love sitting down for a chat in person and who may have some anxieties about COVID, but are trying to can manage that a bit better. So that's potential for a big clash with an HR director or a, a boss who's trying to get people back in and trying to manage that. And that's very hard work for the CEO or the manager who's trying to find some kind of way of accommodating everybody's concerns and desires. So you've got extremes there and that's potential for a lot of conflict because those are also quite heartfelt things and quite personality driven things. So the extroverts who can't wait to be back in, that's very much a part of who they are. The people who are anxious also is very much a part of who they are. So those are really quite deep things to try and manage. And and the people who are trying to manage it are also exhausted because they've been managing all sorts of change for the last few years. So number one, that is a big issue I'm seeing a lot. Potentially, there are issues beginning to show themselves. And you see, you've seen this with the politicians recently and um, the, the, the profile it's had, the whole hot topic of vaccination. Mm-hmm. So people may be feeling the anxious people coming back to work, wanting to know have other people been vaccinated and feeling they should be. And then other people who feel that's entirely a personal choice, et cetera, et cetera. And then we've got this whole very toxic um, war going on at the minute with all of that. Very tense for people to manage in a workplace context. And then one of the biggest things I'm seeing is the impact of remote working. So the lack of human contact, um, the lack of the 
classic, and I, I've used this a couple of times just this week in talking to people about how conflict is going at the minute. So say when on an ordinary average morning, when I worked in Edwards Company, we had a tiny, tiny wee car park for seven people and somebody got in before me and got the easy space, you know, and it might not have been a great morning for me coming in. You know, I might have had to deal with all sorts of things in the journey in and, and I go in and I'm really grumpy about that. And but within five minutes, the person who maybe took the space has brought me in a coffee or I've met them on the way up the stairs and we've had a laugh about something or and we've moved on with our day. If something similar happened over the last year, which it has frequently on a Zoom call or a Teams call or by email, which for me is the root of all evil, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of then, so say somebody says something casual on a call and you're not having a great day like you weren't when you parked in the car park and you think, oh, I don't like the way she said that. That that sounded a bit sharp or was was she having a dig at me there? Instead of then bumping into that person five minutes later and figuring out actually there wasn't really an issue there and we're having our lunch together and we're in a room together, it's fine. Instead of that, it might be a week before I communicate with that person at all. Again, we may not have another Teams call. We may or may not have emails in the meantime. And so I have plenty of time to build that up in my mind. And then what I start doing is looking for confirmation that that is what happened. So the next email she sends me, I think, oh, well, there's a few hidden things in there. That's a bit sharp. She didn't say hi today. She didn't say hi, Dorcas. She just said Dorcas. She didn't say all the best. She said she just signed off. So we then start building that up and finding evidence for what we thought in the first place, which was she was pretty sharp with me on that call this morning. And before you know it, you're a few months down the line and that has built up into quite strong conflict. I can see how that can happen. Yeah. Just like Oh, we all do it. We <clears throat> yeah. all do it. As you sort of explained that, I was kind of thinking about things playing out in my head. But you mm. can see because of these Zoom calls, yeah. these team calls, somebody may make some offhand mm. remark mm. and it could be misconstrued the mm. wrong way. It could be taken up the wrong way. And suddenly then that's playing out in your but, mind. But what's not happened is you haven't bumped into Correct. each other an hour later. Correct. Um, and you haven't just got on with your day and it's all fallen into perspective. Correct. So that is, I think, quite a hidden um, impact of remote working Mm -hmm. that people aren't really addressing. But I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it a lot. Because that's happening even with friends, Dorcas. You've got a WhatsApp message from somebody and they're like a bit sharp. And then you bumped into them, as you said, down the pub later Mm -hmm. on or you're at a Mm -hmm. football match or something. And it's just cracking up. Yeah. And you're like, oh, there must have been nothing there. But, but abs- if you didn't bump into them Correct. and you go back the next time thinking you're going to mess with that person and you see the previous message and you think, do you know that is right? Because he hasn't been in touch since. Yeah. That must be right. Yeah. Before you know it, you've convinced yourself that they yeah. hate you. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're being a bit facetious about it, but I'm seeing that pattern a lot. And I know people who I have friends and, you know, from time to time. And I can think of people, if you didn't send them a text back within mm. 20 minutes, mm-hmm. they'd think something's up. Mm-hmm. And you could just be busy, Absolutely. but they would start playing stuff out in their mind. Of and, course. And so you can see how that can actually matter with this whole COVID world yep. that we find ourselves in, remote working, yep. hybrid working now. It's just, it seems to be it's a, minefield. a perfect storm. <laughs> it is a perfect storm to a large extent. And I honestly think this is not something that we saw coming. No. I mean, in fairness, dealing with life by Zoom and Teams and so on, was people's best response to what we were stuck with. Yeah. And that was fine. But I think that, and, and it may be fine, and there may be people who've discovered that is actually a really efficient way to work and they may continue to work as long as we know that there are risks with it and to look out for it. And we know that if there was something went a bit awry on that call, that we maybe need to give the person a ring 
or you know and we've we've lost that as well remember when you just used to lift yeah. the phone to somebody yeah now you text and say would you be free for a call yes you know and so everything that we do becomes much more cumbersome yeah and we've lost that spontaneity that of course on one extreme spontaneity can be where you lose the head with somebody and shout that's yeah. not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the ability to just have conversations we are losing that in terms of natural communication. Well, let me tell you a story. I was at an event yesterday, um, Martin Gilchrist, and we were chatting mm-hmm. about this off earlier on, was running this networking day down yeah. in Newcastle for his new Workshore venture. And as you know, I do a lot of speaking engagements yeah. in schools, three, 400 students, workshops, 50, 60 people, whatever it is, no problem. Yesterday, whenever I went to this uh, networking event, I really struggled with my anxiety levels because I hadn't been to a networking event in that long. I'd actually forgot how to approach someone, how to say hello, how to have a conversation with them because I've been doing all of this virtually. I was actually, when I I went in, I I actually shared this story in the group Mm -hmm. session and people were like going, and some guy came up to me at the end, goes, see that story you told earlier on? I was absolutely on the money. Oh, he says, I well could completely relate that, to that. Because you articulated what everybody else was feeling. Exactly. Yeah. And what, I, what happened was I said, whenever I came into the event, I was actually hiding in the corner nearly. I was finding <laughs> excuses. I, I, it's bizarre. Yeah. I was finding ways not to go and talk to people. Wow. Because I'd been out of the loop for that long yeah. in, in, in yeah. doing those types of face-to-face yeah. things. So I can see from an organ, that could be very challenging for yeah, people like coming absolutely. back into the workplace. Yeah, yeah. And we can see how problems could arise yeah, out of that. Yeah, yeah. And how I used the word fester early, which is what yeah. I use a lot in the context of conflict. Once it starts to fester, oh my word, it's so much harder to reel it back. Reel it back. So it catching back. it, early intervention, as I said. Is key. It's key. Right. So let's talk about sort of three things that organizations need to be aware of when it comes to conflict management. Okay. You know, if you, if there was an organization, a business listening to this podcast today, and there was three things that maybe, maybe they have some issues within the organization, mm-hmm. but they can't really put their finger on what they are. They maybe don't think it's conflict, but mm-hmm. it maybe is, or maybe it mm-hmm. needs a little bit of mediation. What are some of the things, like the three things that you would say to an organization or three tips that you would share mm-hmm. with them? Okay. You mentioned early intervention. So imagine yeah. that's going to be number one. Number one early is early intervention. intervention. But how do you do that? That's yes. easy for me to say. I People need to be very alert to what's going on around them. So more alert than usual. Um, so it can be very subtle. Watch out for the Mondays off. People will often think, oh, yeah, she's been drinking at the weekend or whatever. But actually, sometimes it's a sign that they can't face coming to work on a Monday. Yeah. Um, or any days off increasing sick leave, things like that. Be alert to those kind of things. Watch out and and on Zoom when team meetings, be really conscious of watching people's reactions. Um, if it's in real life, if you're back in the workplace in real life, do drop into an open plan office and see what the atmosphere is like. Keep an eye out for it. Don't hide under hide yourself away from it. Try and see, you know, be very aware of what's going on around you. So look out for signs. And I, I do some of these training sessions with teams to say, here are typical signs that you'll come across. And then I would ask people, what do you think might be a sign? And people will come up with different mm. ideas. The Monday was one that somebody came up with at a training session I was doing. And that can be a real clue. Um, so number one is early intervention by looking out for it and being aware of it. That doesn't mean you go and see conflict in everything, but it means that you consciously think, is yeah. everything all right down there? 
you yeah. know, she wasn't smiling this morning. She, they were, they weren't chatting when I went yeah. in, you know. And and sometimes it's no bad thing. I've been a boss to walk into a room and they all go quiet. Yeah. Because I think, well, that means they were chatting. That's a good thing. Not too much that they weren't doing their work, so, but atmosphere. Watch out for an atmosphere. Watch out for sick leave. Pick up on those things. That's number one. So it's not about people shouting and roaring in the corridor, having conflict. It can be very subtle things, small things. That's the easy one to spot. Yeah, yeah. We're, shouting we're and roaring in the yeah. corridor, it's very easy because you say you and you in my office yes. now, what's going on here? You know, yes. um, it's much harder to pick up the subtle stuff. But a, a, a good manager can look for it. There are little signs that you can look for. And most of us, unless we're really thick, can tell if somebody's not speaking to somebody else. Yeah. You yeah. can usually pick that up. So yeah, number one is definitely early intervention. Number two, I would say, look at the idea of incorporating and embedding conflict management into your organization from the top down, as I said. So look at how people behave in your boardroom. Do they behave well to each other? Conflict in the boardroom is absolutely rife. And if there's conflict in the boardroom, you can be sure also that even the most junior member of staff knows about it. You know, those two don't get on. We know that. Yeah. You know, that that's filters through, makes people nervous, anxious. If they're not getting on the boardroom, might might the company go under? What what might happen? So that's my number two is embed these kind of approaches to conflict from the top down. Boardroom, managers, senior management team, tackle the fact that they're maybe not functioning properly because they're not communicating properly. And then what I said about putting in mediation type clauses into staff contracts. So it's always an, the first port of call for resolving things. And thirdly, I would say create a workplace culture where people feel they can come and tell you that there's a problem. Now that sounds a bit glib. There's a lot of work behind that, but it's not that hard to do. And I do full day training sessions for organizations on creating a healthy workplace culture using mediation skills. And in the space of a day, they have learned how to listen better, how to communicate better, how to ask the right questions so that you get to the bottom of what's going on instead of saying, Wayne, I saw you weren't looking too happy this morning when you were in the other office there. What's going on? And Wayne says, oh, it's all fine. It's all fine. Nothing for you to be concerned about. I can teach people questions that they can ask that are likely to get to the bottom of that. Because if I've asked you that, it means I know it's not nothing. So... How can I find out really, are you really okay? Or are you just, you know, passing it off? Now, from the conflict management uh, perspective, is this something that's more for the larger companies? Or would you, do you think that companies of all sizes really need to be looking at this? Absolutely, Wayne. Should you be two people? You'll have conflict. Of course. Should you be five people? You'll have conflict. And in smaller organizations, probably even more important because if you fall out with somebody out of a team of five or if you have friction with somebody out of a team of 10, like that's a big, big impact to your working day. You're going to get back into what I was talking about, the dread coming to work, the sickness in the pit of your stomach coming in. You know, the, the oh no, there's a meeting today. How's that going to go? The not sleeping the night before, the no joy in your work, you know, and those are not things that should be happening. You know, people should be able to go and enjoy what they're doing at work and um, and, and not be held back in the job they're doing and the effectiveness of it because they're afraid to speak to so-and-so in case they bite their head off or they're afraid to speak to so-and-so in case they're upset or whatever. So it, the smaller the organization, in a way, it's even more crucial, but also simpler to tackle because you don't have to change 500 people. You only have to talk to three or four people. 
And is it fair to say then that we talked about organisations that some of what you've said or most of what you've said, I'd imagine, is applicable outside of the business world? Like if we have people <laughs> listening to the podcast, there's conflict and family, I don't know. But, you know, early intervention, again, is going to be important Absolutely. to try and yeah. fix that relationship. Yeah. Oh, we all know. I you mean, know. you talked about your mate, you know, yeah. texted him or something, good night yeah. to the pub. Like we... It doesn't take very much self-awareness to know that you have just reacted to a text from a friend, yeah. you know, and and if you know that friend well enough and everything's good with them, you can yeah. say, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Did you really mean that? Um, if you don't, you wait for the next text and then maybe you don't get the next text. So you, you get really upset about that. And you're, as I said before, you're convinced that they were meaning that in the first place. And then if weeks go by and months go by, you know, we've all been had those relationships whether it's friendships or work connections or whatever where the longer time goes on the harder it gets the harder it is to pull it back absolutely and i also remember there's a couple of community organizations that i was involved with or been involved with over the years and it's all voluntary basis yeah and there's even conflict oh, there what do you mean even yeah they're the most common yeah they're the most common <laughs> so it's been aware of that yeah. i suppose as yeah. well self-awareness self-awareness communication yeah and people sometimes struggle in those types of forums to maybe get their voice heard. Well, there's that. There's the, there's those types of forums, and I've done quite a lot of work with with that voluntary third sector. The problem there is that you often get people who have started doing what they're doing because they're extremely passionate. So yeah. you know, the, typically the cancer charities they've had a very close family member or friend die of cancer, and they've got involved. So they're very passionate about what they're doing, and that means that. You know, that's obviously open to conflict if somebody else comes along and is a bit casual about it all and isn't so passionate. Or on the other hand, people who are doing it because they genuinely feel really um, strongly about the subject, but aren't aren't somebody who would put themselves forward. So they will, at a meeting, just be quiet and let everybody else make the decisions when they have something very valid to say, but they don't have the confidence to say it. And so what happens is they go away feeling bruised and feeling not listened to and again, I've have, seen that. Yeah. I've seen that. It's happen. very common. Yes. Yeah. And then you get the people who I used to sometimes when I'm doing the board work describe as the noisy silence, you know, so they'll sit at the table looking extremely grumpy. And it's very clear that they do not agree with what's going on. But when the chair says, what do you feel about that? Are you concerned about that? Are you upset about that? No, I'm fine. Yeah. And, and choose deliberately to huff instead of speak. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of things that and again it boils down to that word communication so it's very important for a board for example some of the work I do with boards is for them to work together to discuss how they will cope when they have a controversial issue that they need to disagree on they need to have healthy disagreement how are you going to manage that when it happens what are the rules you know how will you manage it that everybody gets two minutes each to make sure they speak how are you going to manage the fact that somebody is so passionate that they got very loud what's the code word that everybody says okay now we all agreed Mm you wouldn't shout, you know, uh, but those are very easily done in a two hour session before your board meets one. It only needs to happen once and draw up a charter of conduct. And then it's being put out in the open. So instead yeah. of people going away going, he shouted and I, that's unacceptable. Yeah. You've had the conversation that is in this board, it will be unacceptable to shout. Mm-hmm. So all that has to happen then is you're shouting and we said we wouldn't. You know, it, it makes life easier for people. So conflict is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Combat 
is optional. Absolutely. That's a great quote. We've got to give the credit for, to, for it to Max Lucado, who's an yeah. American psychologist yeah. who writes a lot. I hadn't heard it before. It's fantastic. It now, before we finish up, covered a lot of great stuff today. It's been fascinating, actually, from, from my point of view. Um, before we finish up, tell people a little bit, or our listeners a little bit about your name of your business, how people can find out about you, get in touch, yep. website address. Absolutely. Or if somebody's listening yep. in, yep. I always say that if somebody's listening to the podcast and maybe experiencing this or is an organization who wants to explore this, I suppose, yeah. a little bit further, how do they get in touch with the one and only Dorcas? The one and only Dorcas. Yeah, I don't even need to use Crawford really with no. a name like Dorcas Sheridan. Um, so I, um, the name of the organization is The Better Way. And that's for obvious reasons, because I found that the law was not the better way. And as I gradually moved into this work, um, and from what people were saying, it was the better way. So hopefully that's pretty memorable. If you can think about conflict and think there is a better way. There's to always this, a better way. It's called the better way. And the website is the better way to to.com. Okay. And um, the better way to to at the end.com. Um, and there's lots of information on the website. There's case studies. There's loads of stuff on there about conflict in general. Um, I also post a lot on LinkedIn. I've just formed a um, discussion group for HR specialists Fantastic. on LinkedIn for to to talk to me about what they're coming across sure, currently yeah, in the workplace. That's a really good idea. So that's I've just opened that up. Initially, I had people by invite, but I've just opened that up. So I, I post a lot on LinkedIn about conflict and what people are facing and, and all of that. Um, and there's a couple of really good um, little films on there where I have this kind of conversation about what typically people are coping with and dealing with. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter. The Better Way is on Twitter as well, TBW2. Um, and uh, I'd say probably LinkedIn is the best place to find a lot of information and the website and the website yeah well look Dorcas it's been fantastic to chat with you today on episode 56 of the Zero Lives Left podcast I know that this is a topic that is going to resonate with people particularly in COVID-19 land yeah, absolutely um, and all of the stuff that you mentioned and you highlighted about how conflict may arise as a result of coming back into the workplace some really good sort of examples there of what to be on the lookout for. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the key. Just start looking out for it and, and try and watch out for it. And when you spot it, do something about it. Don't, Brilliant. don't ignore it. It's been such a pleasure, Wayne, to catch up and, Brilliant. and talk about my favourite topic at the minute. <laughs> it's fantastic. So thanks so much, Dorcas. Thank I really you. appreciate it. And I know we're going to chat about this at some point in the future. Thank you, Wayne. I don't know about you, but that was one insightful episode today on the podcast. Lots of amazing takeaways from this particular episode when it comes to dealing with conflict in general, but also helping manage that conflict in the workplace. So a huge thank you to Dorcas from The Better Way. As you've probably realized by now, there is always a better way when it comes to dealing with conflict within your business or your organization. Look, we have to you know, face facts. Conflict is everywhere. Conflict is costly. Uh, conflict is destructive. It drains resources and it impacts people's lives. And that's the really important thing to keep in mind when it comes to conflict. If you're involved in conflict, it's impacting your life right now. But there is something that you can do about it when it comes to managing that conflict. And that's one of the huge takeaways that I'm taking away from this episode today. You don't actually have to be stuck with conflict and not know how to deal with it. There is help and there is support available. And the communication side of things is so important. The training side of things is so important. 
So it's refreshing to hear that there are skills, that there are techniques that you can learn, that you can develop, that you can use within your own organization when it comes to managing conflict. So once again, I want to thank Dorcas for giving up her time today to chat with me and give me a better understanding on what conflict is within organizations. As always, don't forget if you've got an idea for the podcast, an episode that you would like us to cover, or you're somebody listening into the podcast and then you'd like to become a guest on the Zero Lives Left podcast, we would love you to reach out, get in touch. We're always looking for people to come on and talk about their business, share their business journey and add as much value as they can possibly add to our listeners. Don't forget, as always, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Please do stop by the Zero Lives Left podcasting website and I'll see you next time for another one of our episodes of the Zero Lives Left podcast. Thanks for listening to the Zero Lives Left podcast with Wayne Denner. Make sure to check out Wayne's new book, The Student's Guide to an Epic Online Reputation, available from WayneDenner.com and follow him on Twitter at Wayne Denner. Tune in next time.